0: Before we begin we have a favor to ask. If you like this podcast please help us spread the word about the show. Go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. Another way is to tell a fellow art teacher. Either way it helps others find the show. The Blocks Paper Scissors podcast has a lot of information regarding teaching art. Not just for tab teachers but for anyone who is looking to further their understanding of children in a choice-based classroom. This show is about finding new ways to engage children and help them find their voice through visual arts.
1: And welcome to the Blocks, Paper, Scissors podcast. My name is Clark Freilich, And I'm Clyde Gaugh. Today, we are joined by a very, very special guest, Julie Toole. Hello. Clyde and I have wanted to get you on our podcast for a long time, and it only took a national pandemic to get you here. <laughs> now she's here, let me tell you why. Julie has been a teacher for 30 years, 20 plus in Chicago public schools. She currently is teaching art at a private progressive school, pre-K through eighth grade. She's been a TAB teacher and a TAB mentor for the last 10 years, and co-leads the elementary level group at the TAB Summer Institute at Mass Art and part of the executive board for TAB Inc. As a transracially adoptive mother of two children of color, she's been on a personal journey on understanding her whiteness and privilege in order to be actively anti-racist in her work and life. This has led her to participate in SEED, seeking educational equity and diversity cohorts, and then to do the training to become a SEED facilitator at her school. She has co-led groups for parents and for staff. She's also part of the EQAT team.
0: We call it Equate
1: At her school, Equity in Action the parent equate group, and teach elective courses for middle schoolers called Artists as Activists. Five years ago, she started a GSA, Gender Sexually Alliance Club, at her school, and together they do school-wide events such as Day of Silence and Ally Week. Welcome, Julie. How have you
0: been? Hi. Um, I've been okay. I've been learning a lot. I think this opportunity to be home and to um, being forced to learn lots of new things has been quite good and i think as tab teachers we love these kind of challenges i think how can we think about doesn't matter if we're teaching on a card or we're teaching um, virtually or we're teaching you know in overcrowded classroom um we can deal with it because it's about relationships and it's about our students and it's about knowing our students and and what they need so I know that I have a lot of privileges to be able to be home and still get my salary and be safe and have my family here with me and and have this opportunity to continue to grow as an educator. So pretty good for the most part.
1: (laughs) So did you find as a tab teacher, and we're all tab teachers, is the technology part of it more frustrating or the fact that you can't be with your kids and work with your kids?
0: Um, I just miss like, the energy of a studio that you can't replicate on an online format right that just that flow that goes that that the way that i can you know navigate between group to group and kids are on the floor and kids are in the hallway and just jumping in and out um i miss that buzz i miss that energy i miss that excitement and creativity of the space and it makes you realize um, how special our our physical spaces are, whatever they may be, however big, however small. There is something pretty magical about what happens, and my kids have shared that as well. Like they're like, I just really missed being in the studio. I have former students that come back sometime. They're like, they want to come in and like sniff the studio. <laughs> they're like, I just I gotta be back in here and smell it again. You know, it just has this kind of visceral experience for them from being in this space where they, I think, feel safe and, and had so many positive experiences. So that's been the hardest part. The technology, you know, we're, we're learning and this is an opportunity for us to be like, to show our kids that we're learning too. And they're teaching me some things too.
1: It's funny you say that about the buzz. I did a, a draw along today and mm-hmm. just setting up about 15 minutes before it started. I had some kids get on, they were just into the room. They go, what are we going to draw? And I said, I don't know. I said, what do you want to draw? And they go, we just want to draw with you. Hmm. And so I said, well, we can just draw whatever we want. So I had about uh, 20, 25 kids join the group. I had them mute their mics at first so I could uh, speak, but that really doesn't make any difference for them then I said, go ahead and turn your mics on because it it wasn't the same. Mm -hmm. Teach to a quiet room. Mm -hmm. But then when they all turned their mics on, it was a buzz. It was just everyone, they'd be talking to their sister or somebody else in the room. It was just nice to have that buzz, even online. So,
0: yeah.
2: Julie Clyde here. Thank you so much for being on Blocks, Paper, Scissors podcast. Clark and I were lamenting earlier that it's only taken us 22 episodes to get you on.
0: I know. What's up with that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> we we have to complain to our uh, agents, uh, uh, who administer the show. Uh,
0: I'm not that busy.
2: <laughs> but um, you know, you were, you're were talking earlier about you know the special place that the Tab Art Studio is in the in the K-12 s- setting, and um, I was thinking about, you know, the special conversations that go on in a tab classroom when we're talking to kids about their art. Yeah. Or, uh, and Clark was Clark was talking about, you know, how you know the the uh the audio was muted on the uh the Google meeting that he was conducting conducting class in. And you know, thinking about the tab classroom, you're in the space and special conversations. Yeah. And dialogue is, you know, a critical part, I think, of uh, of what makes the TAB classroom a really special place. I think that kind of, you know, leads up to part of what our topic is here
0: today. Mm-hmm.
1: That's right. Uh, we appreciate having you on the show.
0: I'm really happy to be here with both of you.
1: So, Julie, could you kind of give us a, a quick introduction uh, you know, about DEI and and maybe why it's important that we start looking at this in our K twelve in the in the landscape of K twelve education.
0: Um, wow! Yes, <laughs> um, diversity, equity, inclusivity, and I like to add J on there for justice. It really needs to be the foundation of education, public, private, parochial, homeschool, whatever it is. That this needs to be the foundation of what everything else is built upon. This is the world we're living in. We know that um, there are systems in place as part of how the United States was formed, that um, it is not an equal place for everybody in this world. When we are thinking about how to best meet the the needs of our students and our community, we have to be looking at all the decisions we make through the lens of DEI and J. Everything else can go on top of that. But without that foundation, we really aren't going to be able to form those connections to our students. We're not going to be able to really support them the way they need to be supported. We're not going to be able to form um, the types of safe relationships we strive for to allow the students to really express themselves through their art. Um, so no matter whether you're teaching art or science or math or, you know, you're the physical education teacher, Um, this needs to be the conversation, this needs to be the foundation, this needs to be the training that all teachers and educators are comfortable with seeing and understanding so that we can try to dismantle these systems of oppression that the United States is built upon. Because if we don't acknowledge it, we don't understand it, nothing is ever going to change.
1: And those conversations are uncomfortable by nature. Mm Mm-hmm and that's why people, a lot of people, don't want to have them.
0: Right, and it's, you know, and I just want to say that I'm a white, cisgender, heterosexual female, and I have lived a life of privilege because of my whiteness, and being brought up in a middle-class family, and I'm able-bodied, so I have many, many layers of privilege, and Part of why it's uncomfortable for white people or for myself to talk about it was because you never had to talk about it because my experience was the norm. My experience was the status quo. My teachers looked like me. My doctors looked like me. Everybody I knew around me pretty much could go to college if they wanted to. That was kind of what was expected. And so, because of that, people think like there is no white culture, right? So, it's, I think, through examining and not shame, not blame. That is who I am, how I was born. Um, but a- understanding that whiteness, um, and the power that goes with that is a way to use that power to, um, help dismantle dismantle, um, these systems of oppression that I was speaking about.
2: That's a tremendously important acknowledgement. Um, one that I am, uh, currently, uh, doing some reflection on also. And, um, you know, you, you you talked about the foundations for education uh, within a school setting, uh, that, um, acknowledge diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. Mm -hmm. And when you think about the way schools are structured, Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to use a word here, uh, called hegemony, uh, and, uh, folks, who are familiar with that word know that it means that we reproduce the uh, conditions in society that exist uh, with uh, the uh, injustices that are in society are reproduced in the school. And so um, Clark and I had these conversations about grades Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: uh, uh, grades can be a currency in the school setting.
1: Mm. and
2: so um you know and if you the reason i love tab so much is because we can figure out ways to uh recognize the inclusivity the diversity the variation of of uh of of the human human uh beings that are in our rooms mm-hmm. and so that's one of the reasons i i'm in love with tab uh is because i we can be a place where these foundations can take root uh, in our curriculum and in our teaching.
0: I think something that's important to, to express and to name is that um, this is a lifetime journey with really no end goal um, other than working towards being actively anti-racist in my work and in my life, right? So, I think back to some of the things, some of the decisions, some of the ways I structured myself before I had done some of this work and you know I'm embarrassed about it. I'm like can't believe that that I did that and it's just I think important to acknowledge that everybody is on a different place on that spectrum Um, and then as long as we are moving forward along that towards becoming more self understanding our own identity and our own stories then we can really start to celebrate and understand the stories and voices of other kids. I think in a tap classroom, what is so natural is that because kids are intrinsically motivated to make art that is part of who they are and what they love, um, and they can use their art as that kind of expressive tool, we know kids on a deeper level than they would be in in a typical art classroom. So understanding and creating a safe space where the student feels seen and heard in your curriculum, on your walls, you know, those kind of things kids notice and that's going to help those relationships that are going to really thrive and soar in a TAB classroom for all our learners, all our artists.
2: No question. I was mm-hmm. thinking about Jean Dubuffet,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: who's a Frenchman, uh, was a huge advocate for children's art that was uncooked by i want to say the western artistic traditions he was you know interested in outsider art mm-hmm. um, art that is you know what he called raw art mm-hmm. and in a tab classroom uh, this is exactly what we can provide opportunities for art that's uh, you know the children who the child who has a desire to mm-hmm. express their inner realms in whatever way that uh, is, uh, they are passionate about. And so I think tab classrooms, you know, have a natural capacity to provide D E I and J uh, foundations. I think that's, that's an important aspect of tab.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Something that, you know, as I continue to, to do my own personal work and, and, And when you go through the seed, you know, the seed workshop, which um, they referenced in uh, my bio there, it's been around about, I think I was class 33. So 30 some years, this is uh, organization has been started by Peggy McIntosh. So um, an article I highly recommend for everybody, um, especially if you're starting on this journey is Unpacking the invisible Backpack. And it's about white privilege. So it's one of the first articles that really named that and helped as a white person, she was sharing what that privilege looks like. Um, and that really that hadn't been part of the conversation before. And so it's really looking at these systems, right, that are in place um, instead of trying to blame it on just individual people who have, you know, are, are racist or are bad. It's not about that. It's really about the systems that are in place. And schools is one of those systems, right? Um, any large organization, our prison system, our police system, right? Hospitals, healthcare, each one of these things that is a system in the United States, and we are seeing it in real time, in real life right now. What is happening to communities of color during this pandemic? Who is this affecting most? It's not who is biologically most susceptible to it, it's who has lived because of their color of their skin who is living, you know, living in a world where they don't have the same access to healthcare, or support and education. All these systems that have been put up that are part of the foundation of the United States that, that keep people from thriving. And we're seeing it magnified through this pandemic. Absolutely. And so, yeah, so it's, it's something that is really on my mind a lot. Yeah, it's been on my mind a lot going through this.
2: Yeah, it's it's not escaped me that victims of uh, COVID-19 are people of color, and most the, the the rates of infection, uh, deaths, and that's a uh, evidence that uh, they're not receiving care uh, necessary system benefits from uh, with regard to healthcare and uh, economics. Mm -hmm. and uh, education Mm -hmm. uh, and that affects children Mm -hmm. who come who come to us yeah uh, those inequities that they experience
0: and you're thinking about you know our essential workers that are that are out there right that are putting themselves at risk every day to getting the virus or bringing it to their families how many people of color are in some of those businesses right that are out there doing deliveries and and taking care of You know, sanitation and and all these things, because, you know, maybe they don't, they're undocumented and they don't have a backup plan. They can't, they can't apply for unemployment. What do they have to do to survive during this, right? What kind of systems are in place to support them? So all these things, you know, are just being so, so magnified right now.
2: I'm, I'm curious, what kind um, I, I'm getting some of my students are uh, turning in art that is directly related to their COVID-19 experiences. Are you seeing any work from your kids that reflects their current situation? Yeah,
0: I mean, I think it's a great testament that art is such an outlet for kids to process what is happening in the world. I had a first grader on my Zoom call yesterday who had made a cardboard mask that he was wearing over his face, um, and he had colored it and decorated it, but he kept it on the entire time, and then my own children, we have a trampoline in our backyard, and they were out there playing. They made up a game called quarantine, so <laughs> you, you think you're sheltering your kids, or they, you know, but they know a lot what's going on, and how that naturally comes out through their play, and that comes out through their art, and you think about the loss of play in our school system especially for our younger kids, but even for our middle schoolers who need to play still, right? And the loss of art programs and creative expression, you know, where they're following a more formulaic way to make their art. How much of that healing is lost when kids aren't allowed to do what is biologically normal? This is what we are meant to do. We are meant to create, right? And so when that is kind of stifled or taken away, what that does to the mental health of our kids. So that's a whole nother issue of equity too, is, is mental health.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, One that we're all very much interested uh, in uh, uh, being uh, a uh, advocate for and uh, having experiences that are provide amelioration Mm -hmm. for uh, those kinds of situations. You know, Clark and I were having these conversations about how, you know, art experience should be beneficial to the individual's current situation. Right. It should be, you know, directly related to um, their lives.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, in a tab classroom, we can provide ambiguity. Uh, and, you know, a natural part of a tab classroom is uh, what Nan Hathaway talked about, you know, these incubation periods
1: mm-hmm. uh, where
2: it's okay if you just want to sit for a while and, yeah. uh, Right. and think about what you're going to do. Right. And have have just time to yourself yeah. to
0: think. Yeah, and to process. Yeah. And our kids need that so much right now. Yeah, the three,
1: the three things that you know our kids need is, like you said, Julie, time to create, which mm-hmm. we all want to do, but also play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not being able to play with their friends and to socialize. Those three things which are really important in the development of young people, especially the five and six year olds It's going to be interesting to see what happens in 10 years and 15 years. Right. The effect, the long-term effect of this, Mm -hmm. of this quarantine and how that thinking about DEI and and people of color and people of less means than we have, how that's, how that's going to to play out.
0: I was going to say, this is, this is a time of trauma. This is not just, we are now learning you know, remotely. This is a time of trauma, and we don't know um, what that looks like in each of our students' homes, whether they don't have a home, whether their parents have lost jobs, you know, and there's no income, and there's that stress at home, you know, do they have healthy food? Are they going to a home where they're not physically safe or emotionally safe, where school is their only safe place? So this is Really, on, on on their needs, right? They have to feel safe first, so thinking about connect over I've been thinking about this idea of, you know just connect over content, right? So it's just about that connection, and that's what I've been enjoying about the zoom, even though it's through a digital source that I can physically see their eyes and see their face, has been, I think, really important for me to get through this, too, because I miss them a lot. I miss their voices. I miss their energy. Yeah.
2: If you don't mind me asking, are you doing remote lessons with kids? Are you, are they checking in with you, Julie? How, how do yeah. you do, how are you doing uh, your classes during Yeah. This?
0: So my school is using um, Zoom and we're, we are doing almost everything we're trying to do live. We're really trying to focus on the connection Um, So there's not a lot of work outside of the Zoom sessions, a little bit. So I just meet with each class um, for 30 minutes a week, which is not a lot of face-to-face time with them. And then um, I've created using technology to create like a Padlet that has options for kids who are feeling a little stuck um, for things that they can can turn to just to have some ideas. Because sometimes when you're going through trauma, you're not going to have ideas, right? You just physically need something to keep you busy, to keep your hands busy, to keep your mind busy. So it's nice to have options like that. But the best part is, my students, I've taught them how to upload their artwork onto our Padlet. So we have a, a gallery going now that probably has over 50 pieces on it now. And just to see that come to life and to see the things my kids are making. Um, And then the the conversations that are going on where kids go on and you can comment and like and um, other people's artwork. And just I've been using this time to connect to them as an artist. This is such a gift that I have this time to do my own art. So I've been making art every day and I've been sharing that with my students. And I think in a way that probably would not have happened if we were just in person. So um, that I would say is definitely something positive that's coming out of this. For me,
2: I think that's wonderful that you're able to use technology during this difficult time and uh, have contact with them face to face.
0: I'm going to start a, I don't know what I'm going to call it, but like a s- studio Sunday where I'm just going to be in my studio making art and I'm going to be inviting parents, other teachers, students, former students just come and make art right? Be in the same space together. If you want to hold your art up and show people, great. If not, you just want to be in this space where you know other people are creating at the same time and feel that synergy. Um, That is great too. So I'm trying to find that balance between, you know, what I did in a tab studio and the freedom that the kids have um, with feeling like, you know, some kids need a little bit more structure to get through this time right now. Um, One thing I did want to touch on um, that I think is important, and something I've been working on this year, is this concept of windows and mirrors. This was coined by Rudine Sims. Um, she is a professor in Ohio of uh, children's literature, early childhood, and this idea of that students need through, and she started through literature, but it really applies to any part of your curriculum, Windows into other perspectives that are different than your own, other religions, other languages, other life experiences, other body types, other ability levels as a way to understand and hear the stories of other people that are different and also these mirrors. So are there things in your curriculum that reflect who that child is? You know, do they have two moms? Um, Do they have somebody in their family with a mental illness? Do they have a learning disability? Are they a person of color? So thinking about ways that I can bring things into my classroom that are windows and that are mirrors. So what's a window to somebody else is a mirror to somebody else, right? So that's what's kind of great about it. And I think it's just about being more thoughtful about who are the artists you bring in? Who are the people you connect with? If you're doing an artist-in-residence, who is the person you're bringing into your studio? Um, and really using that thoughtfully.
2: That, that's such an important uh, way of, of thinking about interaction with others, uh, because it, it leads to the development of empathy. Mm-hmm. And if you think about people with empathy are not just artists, but scientists, too, because if you are... Uh, uh, in any kind of science you, uh, or engineering, mm-hmm. you're putting yourself in the situation or in the conditions of the mm-hmm. other or the, the other thing. So that's a very important program that you just
1: spoke about. And, and those two things that you were talking about, science and engineering, have so much in common with what we do in art that, you know, there's, there's a lot of overlap. They're connected more than I think people realize. I know in, in my elementary classroom, I've tried to, like Julie said, bring in those artists and those people, introduce those people that widen their window. Exactly. You know, Temple Grandin or, mm-hmm. That's right. um, and just fill my bookcase and images and, you know, talk about them. So it becomes the normal and not right. just, ju- not just focus on what everyone else the dead white guys—Picasso, Van Gogh, Monet, and all that. Right,
0: those. right. Uh, and then there'll be one or two women. You know, you got O'Keefe and Kahlo right. thrown in there. But other than that, you know, that's like okay, check that off. I've met my requirement I'm diverse now I, in my I, curriculum, right? Yeah. <laughs> so
1: you know, this year I, I I purposely only chose women artists to introduce having my in my classroom. Yeah, I mean, the kids don't really pick up on it. They don't notice it as like, hey, they're only women. They're it's just another opportunity for them to, to be exposed to female artists right. or female artists of color. It's a long process to change or to introduce change into the, the status quo.
0: Another really important thought leader I would recommend is Dr. Joy DeGruy. Um, I had the pleasure of of hearing her speak this past fall and was probably one of the most profound things I've ever experienced, um, if you ever have the opportunity to see her live, um, but she uh, talks a lot about this this concept of post-traumatic slave syndrome. Speaking to, you were talking about the empathy piece, Clark, um, developing empathy. Part of what she spoke about was, if you look at the, the photos from our history of lynchings, and you see who is there as the audience, right? Small children, families would dress up and bring their whole family. They would sell postcards of these events. This is our history, right?
2: It's history that we don't like to talk about.
0: Exactly. And we're like, oh, that was in the past. That's over, right? But she's talking about the trauma, not only the trauma for ancestors of slaves. You know, this is how how they, they came to America. But also white people who have become desensitized and lost a sense of empathy and how that can be passed down generationally as well. And I had never really thought about that before, but I think that's something really important to explore a little bit more and how, how it's so important to develop these experiences of empathy, not sympathy, right? This, right. That sympathy goes to white supremacy again, right? Oh, I'm going to help, you know, the poor people, because I'm above, right? I'm gonna do my good deed. I'm gonna take my selfie. The white you know, work heroes at homeless shelter. And then I'm gonna go back to my privilege, right? So, really, empathy, not sympathy. She's mm-hmm. somebody really, really powerful to, to learn from.
1: Would they call that the white heroes something? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, you think of these, you know, they have these like mission trips and things like that. I mean, whether it's through a church or through an organization, you know, where they go and they, it's really to have selfies of helping poor brown and black people. Right. And so you feel good about yourself and then you go back and you do haven't changed anything.
2: This is uh, a difficult uh, conversation to have, um, you know, thinking about our national history that
0: mm-hmm. we
2: don't really talk about. Um, racism is embedded in our uh, nation's history and, um, integrated throughout society uh remnants uh even though we have lots of folks who say you know uh, who would would say that no that's not the case the residue is there
0: Mm
2: -hmm. it's going to take a long time uh for uh not just healing but recognition Mm
0: -hmm. And, you know, that brings up, you know, the whole idea of reparations, right? What, what does that mean? What does that look like? I mean, that's something that is is happening in Evanston, Illinois right now, um, that there is a reparations fund as well that they are putting money towards and they are deciding how that money is going to be used for the Black community and for people of color in their community. Um, but what could that look like on a national level?
2: I have a question. I wanted to ask you this question. Julie, uh, it's about when you are in school
1: at
2: -hmm. at a very prestigious school, uh, Baker in Chicago. uh, I want to ask you this question. Do you find that children, when they uh, have free time, they like to come visit you in the art room? Do you (laughs) general populations of...
0: Yes. I mean, I'm laughing because like it'll be like my, my lunchtime and my, my head of school will walk in. Right. And it's like, you know, there's 30 kids in there. <laughs> I'm like, Oh yeah, this is my lunch. Right. <laughs> now why um, is that? Why,
2: why is it the children could go somewhere else? They could be doing yeah. something else. Why do they want to go see Miss Tool during their, their free time or their lunchtime?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, they feel seen, they feel heard, they feel safe. You know, I think it meets their basic needs, right? Their most primal needs. And I think your, I know your classrooms are the same kind of safe haven for your students as well. And I mean, I'm lucky to work in a school that is, you know, a progressive pedagogy. And so, you know, the studio is a special place, but there are other places because the kids do have a lot of autonomy. You know, we don't do letter grades at our school. You know, there's a strong emphasis on social, emotional learning. So there, a lot of those needs um, are met in other ways as well. You know, it's the community as well. You know, I work hard and, and I know you all do too, it's creating that community of artists. And what is that? How do, how do you nurture that, right? That doesn't just happen by accident. It's very thoughtful and purposeful and quite masterful to get it to that point where that community is strong, where they don't, you know, they like you, but Sometimes they don't even need me, you know, and that's, that would be the ultimate thing to me. They don't need me. Right. That the, the community is taking care of each other. They know how to use the space. They know how to use the materials. And they just go.
2: We we were talking Clark and I were talking earlier about the community of practice and not just practicing art making, but taking care of each other. Yeah. And that's. And so the tap classroom is that safe space. I had a,
0: I have a story. Um, last year I had um, two fifth graders and one was a boy and he was very hard on himself. He, he didn't like anything he made. And um, he was really struggling coming up with what to do in the studio. And he would make things and he'd ball them up and throw them in the garbage. Well, this other child, She started collecting, pulling out of the garbage, the pieces that he had in there. A lot of them were in pieces. And she asked me if it was okay if she could have them. And she started sewing those pieces together and making a whole nother artwork out of these things that he had in the trash. And I think about, you know, how healing that was for him and the amount of empathy that for her to see that and to create that and create this incredibly powerful work of art, which then he was now a part of, uh, you know, these things that, you know, you're never going to give that project, right? <laughs> that's not going to be on a choice board, but these things that that happen because that community is working the way it should be.
2: That's an amazing story. Amazing yeah. story. Uh, that is an, a twist on the trash to treasure. Yeah. Theme.
0: Yeah. And he'll remember that. You know,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I know that um, when some of the kids that come into my classroom and I'm sure yours as well, they don't feel judged. Mm-hmm. I don't give them grades and I've done that forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Clyde, you have to, but it's based more on portfolio and doing, you know, completing the work and just meeting the child where they are at that moment in time, and being present with that person, whatever their need is to see them as a human. If they just want to, like Clyde was saying, if they just want to talk, if they just want to sit, that's perfectly fine. And I'm not going to stand over them threatening them if they don't get their work done, You know, that's not how you develop uh, internal motivation to to do anything by threatening kids and using, you know, grades or recess or things as punishment. You don't do that with kids who are uh, experiencing any kind of trauma or just anybody in general. You have to, you know, it's just more than that, examining what and how you say and how you talk to kids so that your words aren't clubs to bludgeon them. And we hope kids realize that when they come into our studio. That's why they're flooding to our studio. They want to. Kids are not going to recess. They're coming to me. Instead of having class, I have one and a half classes because Mm -hmm. I have 10 other kids in the classroom. And just making that that space available for them has been um, wonderful.
2: Yeah, I I need to stay in my lane, but I would venture to say that classroom is one of the most humane places in a K twelve setting, mm-hmm. uh, because the the experience is so human, it's humanistic, and uh, I I hate to say tested subjects. They've got a lot of ground to cover, and they have to use uh, what they call efficiencies, and uh, in my mind, efficiencies translates to mechanized learning systems or learning experience. That's basically behaviorism. Back to grades is currency. Um, you know, in the TAB tab setting, we can dispense with all that and just get down to human relationships and uh, having dialogue and conversation and emergent creativity. Right. So that's a good thing. That's one of the best things about school is that if you got an art program, great. If you've got a TAB art program, that's even better. <laughs>
1: So, Clyde, we want to make sure that uh, we are um, aware of Julie's time so that we don't carry on too much.
2: We were just getting into the meat of our conversation. You mean you're going to cut us off
1: now, (laughs) Clyde?
0: We'll have to do it. We'll continue continue it around a fire somewhere, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Tab stock. Tab stock. Tab stock. We'll get back together again. I hope we, can, so.
1: we can put the tent six feet apart,
0: right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we do that anyway. I'm still, yeah, I'm still looking forward to that.
0: Holding out hope.
1: So anything that, uh, any good books you're reading? Clyde, I know you always have your nose in a book that people might be interested in, in picking up at their local philosophy store. Right now, I'm I'm
2: reading uh, Outsider Art by Daniel Wojcik, which is really good, and um, also um, a book by William Pinar, Curriculum Theory. You're still reading that? Yeah, it's it's a it's a rich book.
1: I know. I left it at school. I didn't get a chance to grab it when I was. I have a couple other books. I'm. I have to read before that. Julie, when to... you have a chance to read, do you like fiction or nonfiction? Um,
0: I like nonfiction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Right now, I really haven't been reading much. I've been making art. So, yeah, that's really quite exciting. So um, that's been, if I have free time, I'm pretty much in my studio right now and kind of documenting my life through this time in history, right? Historic. Yeah, and I think that that is... A great way for our students to, you know, going through this, living this, you know, in their own childhood to document and to, to process yes. what's going on in the world and trying to make sense of it and help, holding out hope, you know, art there's is a, that hope.
2: There's a fog of uncertainty.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've, I've been reading books that I've started. And now I have time to finish them. I'm reading learner-centered innovation. Mm-hmm. Reading that, finishing that up, and then I'm, my next thing is uh, Homo Ludens, which is about uh, the study of play element and culture. And I've also been trying to learn the ukulele as well.
0: Oh, Rick, Rick just bought a ukulele a couple days ago. He and his sister, are, who's, she's in Portland. Um, they're both going to do it together. Hey. So on. you
1: guys better be careful.
0: Are you going to take us out with a song?
1: <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. That'll-
0: That'll make an appearance at TabStock one of these years.
1: Probably. I won't, um, I won't submit our listeners to that at this <laughs> moment. So I want to thank you, Julie, for sharing your time and knowledge of this very important topic and all of you for listening to this podcast. We appreciate it. I'm Clark Frelick. And remember, if you like what we're doing here, please rate us and review us in iTunes. And not only helps the show, but helps others find the show as well. Until next time, thanks everyone.
0: Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.